0: So Genesis chapter 1, about two weeks ago we started in the book and one of the most important things that we looked at is that this book of Genesis, it's a history book. It's not a book of allegories, it's not a book of fairy tales, it's not a book of stories, this is a history book. So if you didn't like history in school or college, don't fall asleep yet. But that's what this book of Genesis is, it's God giving Moses a pretty story story of how things began, but it's God speaking through Moses to pen down the exact way this whole universe and mankind began. One of the questions we kept mentioning last time we were together was, who is the boss, right? Who is the boss, not only in your marriage, not only in your family, but in your life? Who's the one that dictates the rules? Who's the one that dictates what's important and what's not important. And if we believe that God has created everything, and then not only did He stop there, but then after mankind messed up things, now He sends Jesus to come and die for us, and then resurrects to fix things all over again, then He truly should be the boss, and He should be the person we look to to decide, Lord, what should be important in my life? How should I be living? How much time should I be spending in things? How should I be treating my spouse? How should I be treating my family? Lord, whatever you say goes. And hopefully, if you're here, especially if you're here and you say, Hey, I'm a Christian. Uh, When I die, I'm going to heaven. Hopefully, that's how you live. Is that the Lord is the boss of your life. And what He says is good, you say is good. And what He says is bad, you say is bad. So we're here in Genesis last time. We looked at the first six and a half days together and now we took a break and now so we can focus in on His creation of mankind and what that looks like. So we can begin in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. I read from the New American Standard Version, so it's NASB. So if you have a electronic Bible, you can change the versions. If you don't, I'm sorry. That's very similar. But here we go. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us... So there's two things that are going on here. In verse 26, we see that he's speaking. He's speaking first and foremost. And then in verse 27, then it says he created. And this is different than anything that he has created so far. He has either just spoken it into existence, let there be light, and there was light. Or he said, let's have this, and there was that. Or he would create things. Those are the two things he was doing. This is the first time where he said, stops to communicate with one another again the word here let us it's not speaking some people say that it's God speaking with all the angels around him but if you look at scripture we know that God makes a strict line for where God is where man is where angels are and where the rest of creation is so we're not made in the likeness of angels what we are made in is in the likeness of god god the let us is the trinity god the father god the son god the holy spirit it's the same word in hebrew as in verse one in the beginning god it's that word elohim it's a multiple it's talking about the trinity going on there so god the father god the son god the holy spirit they're in a sense speaking to one another saying hey This is what we're going to do. We're going to now create man and we're going to create them in our image and in our likeness. When he mentions that, it's saying that he's going to make man with the resemblance or similarities to God. And this sentence in and of itself, it should do something in our heart to show us and reveal to us that man is the pinnacle of creation. Man is the pinnacle of creation. Man is set apart, far apart from the rest of creation. From the rest of animals, from the rest of the universe, from the stars, from the planet. Man is set up at a different level. Here God, he's saving his best for last. This is the last thing he creates ever, right? This is the last thing he creates here at the end of the sixth day. And what this should show us, what this should do to us is that It should create a value of human life that is higher than everything else. Because again, nothing else is made in the image of God. Your dog, it's not made in the image of God. Creation is not made in the image of God. And thus, no life should be protected as much or valued as much as human life. That throughout the Ten Commandments, there's two relationships that God is pointing to to make sure that we're doing things right and it's our relationship with god making sure our relationship with god is right and then the second the second thing is making sure that our relationship with mankind is right that's what he's done when he sets man up and he says i'm going to make them in my image and in my likeness there should be a new value that we look at that person that's really slow at the register that we're trying to get out of right or new value of life of that person that has cut us off that then now we just meet them at the red light at the same time and you're sort of staring at them right there should be a new value for everyone around you because just as yeah it's easy for me to say yeah i'm made in the image of god yeah i'm in his likeness but the person next to you that you can't stand or the relative that you can't stand they are made in the image of god just like you and just like god we have a mini trinity if you will we're built of a body a soul and a spirit David Guzik, he says, man alone possesses personality, morality, and spirituality. That word personality, it's having knowledge, feelings, and a will. You know, some of us may say, my dog or cat, they have a great personality, you know, they may have a bad personality. They definitely don't have a morality or spirituality, right? That word morality, it's the ability to make moral judgments, to have a conscience, to say, is this right? Is this just I don't know if any of your pets are able to do that, or any of my pets. The spirituality, it's knowing that the purpose for man is to have communion with God. That's why we were created, is to have this relationship and friendship with God. And the only way we're able to spend time with Him, the only way we're able to communicate with Him, is on this spiritual level. This is how we communicate with God, is at this spiritual level. It's when we spend time alone reading God's Word. It's when we spend time worshiping Him, whether it's in song or writing or however you may be worshiping it. It's in times of prayer. That's how you're able to communicate with God and family. That's why you were created. That's why we were created. So if we're not tapping into that, if we're not doing that, we're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to have peace. And there's probably going to be a lot of turbulence and pain uh, set up in our lives. You see, the other awesome thing is because we're made in the image of Christ, it makes room for Jesus to come down as a man to die for our sins, right? Throughout the Old Testament, they would never sacrifice a human for their sins. What they would sacrifice was a goat or an ox or doves. So Christ, he didn't come as a dove to die for our sins. He didn't come as the red heifer to die for our sins. He came as a human. We're made in His same likeness. Another interesting thing to look at, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, is that originally when He makes man, He makes us in righteousness and He makes us in holiness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But now you also, putting them all aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So God He creates us in perfection, then man sins, falls short of the glory of God. But now Jesus Christ comes back to live and die and resurrect so that now we can put on Christ. We can put on this new man so that every day we should be looking more and more. Like that holiness and righteousness, just like He created us to once be, but we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29, it says, Behold, I have found only this, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many devices, that God made us holy and upright in the beginning. Let's turn to Ephesians, it's really close to Colossians, two books to the left, Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at verse 17 through 24, this idea of who we should be, how we should be living. What does it mean, the image and the likeness of God? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of, of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Again, as God creates man in his image, in his likeness, right? Many of us, we look like our dad or we look like our mom. We look like that great grand aunt that we never met that they show you the picture and you're freaking out because that's who you look like. That's what it's talking about here. That as God creates us, he made us to look like him. That word Christian is a little Christ, right? A mini-me, a little puppet, a little character that looks just like Christ. That's how we should be living. That's how we should be acting. So as God creates man to be holy and righteous just like himself, then man falls and sins and falls short of his glory. But throughout this process of sin, the world has started to stain And the world has started to become more and more weak in that resemblance that we once had looking like God. But because of the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, when we repent and truly repent, right? There's a difference between repentance and confession. A lot of times you say repent and you just go and you say you're sorry to someone. Oh, I repented. That's not repentance. That is confession. Repentance is not only when you say something is wrong, not only you say, I messed up and I did wrong, but now you live your life going after that which is right and not after that which you said was wrong. There's a great difference between confession and repentance. And sometimes we blur the line of those two things and they are not the same. They're not the same. You can't be driving north on I-95 and saying, oh, I messed up, I'm trying to go to Key Largo and I messed up. And you just keep going north, there's no repentance in that whatsoever. It's when you say it, you state it, you turn on your turning signal, because we all do that, right? You get off the exit, and then you get back on, and you go south. That is what repentance looks like. And now when we come and we repent to God, and we turn to God, we can now be renewed each and every day to look more and more like God. To look more like Him To look more like His holiness And look more like His righteousness And family is that what is happening in you Right When you wake up in the morning Does your wife look at you and say You look more like Jesus today Right Be a little corny Maybe a little weird But that's what should be going on That's what should be going on That each day that you live You're looking more and more like Christ You're looking more and more like His love You're looking more and more like Your love for God's word Do you have a love for God's Word? Do you have a love for God? Or do you say, I love God, but I can't stand His Word? Then you have no idea of who God is. Because He is His Word, right? Before anything existed, He was the Word, and then the Word became flesh. So if you love Jesus, you have to have a love for His Word, whether you like school or whether you don't. I can't say that I absolutely love school or I love reading. But because I love God, man... I love His Word, and I'm refreshed and renewed when I study and when I read His Word. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. Now we look at verse 27, and we see the creation process for mankind, all of mankind, beginning here. They've spoken about it, but now God is doing it. Verse 27, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him Male and female, He created them. So God, He now creates man in His image. He says what He's going to do, and now He does it. And for us to be real and honest with ourselves, there's no pause or break here in verse 27 or verse 28. There's no insertion of evolution. There's no God spinning evolution and throwing it down onto earth to then begin a process. There's no other process except God willing man and woman into existence into creation that's it and he deserves all the glory for that and we shouldn't try to add or excuse anything for that and he very specifically creates them male and female just like he very specifically created each animal according to its kind and each plant according to its kind and he Very specifically put the water here and the land here. He very specifically put the heavens here and the earth here. And he very specifically creates them male and female. And in this climate of gender confusion, it's important for us to remember that he did not make a mistake with how you or with how anyone was created. Right? The Lord doesn't just stand there. Oh man, how did that guy become a girl in the womb? That was supposed to be a guy. What happened, right? That doesn't happen with the Lord. In Psalm 139 verse 13 it says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. Psalm 22 verse 9 says, You are he who brought me forth from the womb. Psalm 71 verse 6, By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb and my praise is continually of you. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 5. It says, And now thus says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. We were just in that area. And Paul here, he has the same idea of the Lord knowing him before he was even created. So Galatians chapter 1. We can read verse fifteen. It says, But when God, who had sent me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And again, the idea here is that Paul is able to say, Man, the Lord He picked me. He knew who I was going to become. He knew how I was going to be born. And there were no mistakes. And family, there still are no mistakes. And in this climate that we live in, if you're here and you say, hey, I'm a Christian. If you're here and you say, I'm going to heaven when I die, then you got to live by this. There's no room to, you know, play with the numbers. There's no room to play with the scriptures. We have to live by this. Not in an obnoxious way, Not in a jerk sort of way, but in a loving and gracious way. We need to live by this and stand by this. We can't be afraid to share the gospel. We can't be afraid to just say what the Bible has to say. We mentioned it last time. You just point and say, hey, the speed limit says 55. I love you. I care for you. But hey, this is what it says. This is what God's word says. And we should not be apologetic of it. We just need to state the facts. And then through our love, show that we love them and that we care for them. And we need to make sure that within our lives, there's no major sins that are not being dealt with that disqualify us from giving the gospel. That disqualify us from sharing God's word with other people. But Paul, there's countless other scriptures of people saying, Man, from my mother's womb, he knew me, he formed me, he had plans for me. Genesis chapter 1 We go back to verse 28. So he's very purposeful. There's a purpose behind everything that God does. So he creates them on purpose, male and female. He creates them. And now in verse 28 through verse 30, he's sort of giving the rules and regulations. He's giving them their jobs. He's giving them their to-do list. Verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So the first thing the Lord does after He's created Adam and Eve, next time we're together we'll look at chapter 2 and look at that in more detail, the first thing He does is that He blesses them. That's the first thing he does is he blesses them. He gives them a gift. John Calvin, he says, The blessing of God may be regarded as the source from which the human race has flowed. That man, it's through God's blessing that we're here today. That we're alive, right? A family near and dear to us. They got in a bad car accident yesterday and the Lord protected them. It's only through him that we're here. And that we're okay, that we're healthy or unhealthy, but that we're here It's only through him and through his power. And we need to give him that credit and thank him for that. Let's turn to Acts chapter 17. And here, Paul again, he gives us a overview of creation. Acts chapter 17, he's here on Mars Hill. And the the people, they have many gods. They have a bunch of temples to every single god. And to cover other bases, they even have a temple to the unknown god in case they missed one. So Paul, he comes to them, and to share the gospel with them, he says, Hey, I'm going to tell you about that unknown God. So in Acts 17, verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and all the things in it, since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, and nor is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope, that they may grasp for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. And this is what Paul is telling us, and it's the same thing for us. Everything that's around us, it's from the Lord. God is the one that has created it. He's the one that has made it. And we all have the same great-great-great-great-great-grandparent, right? You go to Noah... And to his wife. And then before that, you go to Adam and Eve. And we all come from the same line. And man, why did the Lord do that? To create a love and respect for one another. So that if somebody's your family, man, I pray, I hope you give them more slack, you give them more grace, and you love on them a bit more than a complete stranger. But whenever you complete stranger's family, hopefully that love and grace, it should be taken to another level. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. We're still looking at verse 28. And again, God's first commandment for them is to be fruitful and multiply. That's their job, is to be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve's job was to procreate. That was their job was to procreate, which they were given an appetite for sex. That's what they were given. That was instilled in each and every one of them. And parents, I hope you're not. Man, I'm never going to have that conversation with my kid. They'll learn it on their own. Nah, they don't think about that. No, that desire has been put in every single human being. The Lord, He's the one that has put that desire in us to do it in a correct way. But this was, again, perfection. Everything was perfect. He was perfect. She was perfect. The garden was perfect. So their only job, Adam's job, was to name all the animals. After all the animals are done, what are you going to do, right? You got to name all the animals. He needs to take care of the garden and he needs to procreate. He needs to fill the earth with people. Which again, in perfection, when he's perfect, she's perfect, there's no pain in childbirth, looks like God set up a perfect plan to grow the population. And again, He does it through one man and one woman so that there is a mutual love and respect for one another. But this is God's plan. We've messed it up. We've made a royal mess of things, but this is God's plan for them. Be fruitful and multiply. The next thing He tells them is to subdue it and to rule over it. To subdue all the animals, to subdue the earth and to rule over all the animals and rule over the earth. And it always amazes me, it blows my mind how man has been able to tame such wild beasts, right? Whether you're just, man, you love animals and you want them to be your friend, whether you want to train every single animal and tell them what to do, wherever you lie on the fence, you still got to give people their respect and their props, right? Who was the first guy that looked at a lion and said, I'm going to train that thing and I'm going to tell it what to do, right? I'm going to get a chair and a whip and I'm going to tell that lion what to do and it's going to do tricks and stuff like that, right? It was the first one that looked at the elephant and said, I'm going to make that thing roll on a ball. Right? I'm going to show it how to do that, right? You go to SeaWorld, again, whatever camp you are on on that side, you still have to give them respect. This 100-pound lady, this 200-pound guy is telling this two-ton whale what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Again, it's amazing, right? Who was the first person looked at a grizzly bear? I'm going to tame this thing. I'm going to train it and teach it what to do. And that's the amazing power that God has given mankind. Not only to just make the animals our slaves, but to take care of them and to protect them and to take care of this planet, not loving it more than we love God or mankind, But we should be taking care of this planet. We shouldn't be littering, especially here on church, right? Shouldn't be littering, especially here on church. We should be taking care of the animals, taking care of the planet. The next thing is that He gives every plant for them to eat. So what it looks like here is all of mankind and all the animals, at least to the fall, and especially until the flood, everyone was a vegetarian. All the animals were vegetarians. In Genesis 9... Verse 3, this is after the flood. It says, Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. And I give all to you as I gave the green plant. This was after the flood. Don't take this verse. Don't go to your vegetarian and vegan friends and this is what God says. No, man. There's a new day. If someone wants to eat veggies, that's on them. Someone wants to eat meat, that's on them. Right? That's what God's Word tells us. But we continue. Verse 31 And it says, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. Again, after he makes man, after he's made all of creation, he looks at it and he says, man, this is very good. And it tells us, God's very specific. There was an evening, and there was a morning, sixth day. Not an age, not a thousand years, not a lap or a gap, there is... One morning, one evening, a sixth day. And may we be reminded at how amazing God truly is, right? Maybe you don't like being out in nature. You don't like the mosquitoes. You don't like the sun or getting sweaty. But man, you need to sit out in nature to realize how amazing God is. To look at creation and say, wow, Lord, you are incredible. Psalm 33 verse 9 tells us, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Psalm 104, verse 24, it says, Oh Lord, how many are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions and is filled with your creatures. Man, how amazing our God is. We sort of talked about that last time. Imagine if we had that power, right? Lunch, boom, and then there's lunch, right? It's just created by your voice. How long does it take us to do house projects in our home, right? How long have we taken to hang that mirror or that frame to build that? tree house in our backyard god built everything in six days right how incredible is our god to speak things into existence thanksgiving meal and boom thanksgiving meal is there right lamborghini boom lamborghini is there right the power that our god has and again the love and the humility that he has that he makes things perfect we mess it up and then he comes he lives perfect he dies He resurrects to fix things all over again. The amazing and loving God that we serve. Chapter 2, Genesis. Now we look at verse 1. And it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. Verse 2, we continue. It tells us, By the seventh day God completed His work which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And that God blessed the seventh day, and He sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and God had made. So here, as it says, everything has been completed. The heavens, the earth, the whole universe is completed. It's saying God gave nature, mankind, creation, all its necessary parts. And He gave it all its necessary parts in six days. There is nothing missing, there was nothing lacking, there were no mistakes being made, there was no mess-ups by God, He created it in perfection. In verse 2, we see that God has a seventh day, and now what He does is He takes a day off. He takes a day of rest, and why would the Lord of the universe, you know, do this? Was he just totally exhausted after six days, right? Spanning the stars with his hand, having to create Adam out of the dust, breathing life into him. Was he just exhausted after all of that? Did he create the seventh day just so he could go fishing, right? Is that why he created it? Did he create the seventh day just so after church he could go and watch the football game that's on TV, right? Why did God create this? Why did he do this? Let's turn to Isaiah Uh, chapter 40 and we can answer some of these questions not all of them but some of them Isaiah chapter 40 we'll look at verse 28 through 31 and it reads do you not know and have you not heard that the everlasting God the Lord the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired and his understanding is inscrutable or mysterious And he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. And they will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And family, we're assured it was not because God was tired. It wasn't because God was tired. Our God does not go on vacation. As Elijah making fun of the prophets of Baal. He says, is your God on vacation? Is your God using the restroom? You know, where's your God? What is he doing? Our God doesn't do any of those things. If we had more time, we'd look at all the scriptures that show us that he's always praying for us he's always making intercession for us he's always looking to fight on behalf of us he's looking to and fro to see someone who's living righteously and for him so our god it's not because he is tired but he's giving us this day of rest to model something for us he's trying to reveal something that each and every one of us need because he's the creator again he's the creator he's the one that made the game he's the one that made the rules So we got to listen. We need to obey or we need to realize I'm just an absolute rebellion against God. And I'm just trying to make up any sort of excuse or reason that this world has come into existence. So I don't have to think about the creator of the rules. That's the two things that we need to come to in our lives. But He makes the seventh day, He blesses it, and then He also sanctifies it. And there's no other day throughout the course of creation that's both blessed and sanctified. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2, because throughout religion, people have gotten the whole idea of the Sabbath, and it's gotten really crazy on both ends of the spectrum. Mark chapter 2, here the Pharisees, the priests, they're angry At Jesus and his disciples because they need some food and they're just grabbing some wheat out in the fields and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath according to Jewish tradition and the laws that they have made and created. But in Mark chapter 2 verse 27 Jesus is answering them and he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, family, God created us to need rest. God created us to need to stop and rest, not just on the couch watching TV, because then He wouldn't have sanctified it, right? Things on TV that are definitely not sanctified. But He sanctifies it so that we would spend time with Him. That's why he's created this day. He's created this day to give us a day of rest and a day to focus on worshiping the creator of heaven and earth and hopefully the champion of our salvation. That's why he's created this day. Robert Jameson, he says, It is a wise and beneficent law affording that regular interval of rest which the physical nature of man and animals employed in his service requires, right? We need rest. You can only go so many days with no sleep or four hours of sleep before nobody wants to be around you, right? There's a, there's a certain level where it's like, man, go take a nap, right? You're not you when you're hungry. Go, go relax and then come back when you're done. How much more so spiritually when we go a day or four days or a week, right, without spending time and eating God's Word or resting in God's Word, how much more do people not want to be with us, right? Man, you're definitely not as loving as you usually are. You're not as gracious or merciful as you usually are. You need to go spend time with the Lord. Continuing with this quote, he says, The neglect of which brings both to premature decay. Moreover, it secures an appointed season for religious worship. And if it was necessary in a state of prime evil innocence, how much more so now? When mankind has a strong tendency to forget God and His claims. How much more do we need this rest now? Again, God, He puts this day of rest when what was Adam and Eve's job? Name the animals, take care of a perfect garden, and procreate and make babies. And He still gave them a day off. They have a perfect job in a perfect world and they still needed a day to spend time with God and a day to rest. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we create more work for ourselves. We create more busyness for ourselves because in the state of busyness, we're able to create so much noise that we're not in touch with reality, right? The most dangerous place for each and every one of us is when it's silent, right? You're at church and the speaker doesn't say anything for a couple of seconds. And man, man, he says it gets awkward, right? Yes, sir. It gets awkward. It gets tough. And that's the way things are. But God has created this day of rest so that we can be real with man, where am I at with the Lord? How am I doing as a student? How am I doing as a son or a daughter? How am I doing as a father, as a spouse? How am I doing? And we need this time of rest and relaxation, not just to chill and watch TV and be on our phone because that's not resting, right? If we're honest with ourselves, there's no rest when we're just on our phone or when we're just watching TV or on the computer or even watching a movie. We may be chill. We may be numb. We may be hanging out. But we are not resting when we do those things. We rest truly when we're in God's Word, when we're in prayer, when you're out in nature and just, man, taking in God. And also when you come to church. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2, being reminded of the ends of the spectrum of the Sabbath. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2 verse 16 It tells us, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. We need to be careful because there's many religions that instead of creating a day of rest to spend time with God and to relax, they add more laws. They add more rules they add more regulations again if you're a orthodox jew in israel and sometimes in miami beach there's two different elevators and there's a sabbath elevator and what the sabbath elevator does is it stops at every floor so you don't have to press a button because if you push the button it ignites fire and if fire is ignited you've broken the sabbath right that's how strict and tough they are You came here, most of you, you drove here, and that's how you got to church. If you're very strict, you can't drive because when you turn on the car, you're striking fire. And when you strike fire, you break the Sabbath. So imagine having to walk here. You guys that have kids, imagine walking here with your three kids, four kids to come to church. There'd be no Sabbath. There'd definitely be no rest if that was the case. And we need to be careful not adding so many rules and regulations. The Sabbath has to be Sunday. The Sabbath has to be Saturday. No, just as we looked at Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But we also need to be careful because we can swing to the other edge of the pendulum, right? Where we say, hey, Adam and Eve, they didn't have a church, they were just in nature. So my Sabbath is going fishing, right? That's how I, that's my Sabbath. I'm out in the ocean, out in nature. That's my Sabbath. Or I'm out in the woods, or I'm out doing this, and that's my Sabbath. Adam and Eve, they were together, so I just stay at home with my spouse, and that's my Sabbath. No, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and then we'll look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 10, we'll start in verse 23. It tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. So, for those of us, man, maybe you're online and we can fall into this trap that, man, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church. Or some of us, we fall into the trap that I just slip into church halfway through worship and then I slip out through worship. With the worship, right? It's sort of like your Oscar song. Every time the music plays, that's when you end, right? In and out real quick. But the reason for gathering together is for what? It's to stimulate love for one another. It's to stimulate or stir up each other to good deeds. Acting as we spoke more righteously, more holy. Looking more and more like Christ. And also encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near so family the question for us is as you came to church today as you're in church right now have you loved anyone have you encouraged anyone else to live more like christ have you been an encouragement to somebody else or have we just come in and out have we just complained that we just talked about the dolphins or the marlins right What are we doing when we come here to church? And that's so important for us, that He's created the Sabbath to worship Him, but also the body to build up the body, to edify one another, to build one another up, that as we love on one another and encourage one another, we're looking more and more like Jesus. We're looking more and more like God. And it says there, especially as you see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's return. We look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, through three, and then we'll jump down to verse nine. It says, Therefore, let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of you may seem to have come short of it, for indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed entered into that rest, just as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. Now we jump down to verse 9, and it tells us, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did for us. Therefore, let us be diligent, let's work hard to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both of the joints and the marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And family, may we enter into that rest. And it takes hard work, right? I think we all can agree between our phones, our computers, our jobs, the social aspects of life, the things going on with our family and kids. It's hard to set aside time to just sit without any distraction and read God's word. It's hard to come to church on a consistent basis. It's hard to come to church and not just, man, I'm so tired. I want to run in and out and do nothing else. Man, family, may we be working to enter into that rest because that's the only way you're going to have rest. That's the only way you're going to feel satisfied in this life is having that relationship and friendship with God that we talked about in the beginning. That is why He created mankind. And so that we would have a friendship and relationship with Him. And we look for anything but Him as that rest. And we need to be careful with that. It's not the TV. It's not the drinking. It's not the drugs. It's not the games. It's not the nature. He and He alone is that rest. It's only in Him where you're going to actually leave feeling more refreshed and renewed.